this world, on this side of the video screen. No, actually, I'm trying to get some solid evidence together. I want him in the games until he dies playing. You have been recruited by the Sarlee to defend the frontier against Sewer and the Kodan Armada. We welcome to Rylos, my boy. You're gonna bust the record. A computer genius is forced to play his own video games with more than a high score at stake. On the other side of the screen, it all looks so easy. Centauri's the name. We have to talk about a matter of utmost importance. Step into my office. I've seen him come and I've seen him go, but you're the best, my boy. Light years ahead of the competition. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. At the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. You gotta do it. There's so many episodes now. We decide very much worth on the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for... Uh, a year now, I believe there are 50 plus bonus episodes waiting for you. Yeah. If you haven't made the jump, definitely consider doing that. And speaking of which, we do have a list of people who signed up this week. So we are going to thank them all right here. Appreciate um, you. Normally we would, uh, take a little bit more time while we're doing this, but we do have a really big list. So apologies. I am going to be ripping through it here. Um, we've got Daniel Salas, Logan Williams, party with Pizzy, <laughs> uh, Jack Zianbos. Kari, or sorry, Kari, Corey Nailder, uh, Sarah F., Ed Brown, Leslie Flores, uh, and okay, so I am going to read this one, but I will have you guys know that the first one of you that uses a slur is going to ruin this for everyone. <laughs> I love blowing hot sticky cum ropes inside my granny's old pussy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for your $5. <laughs> Uh, we've got stuff. Uh, Aiden and Drew Chow. Uh, we've got uh, Steve Sherritt and Alex Wilson. I'm still laughing about your name, so congratulations. Yeah, good job, man. <laughs> and we appreciate y'all. Yep. <laughs> Thanks to all you guys. Hope you guys are enjoying those bonus episodes, and uh, <laughs> hope you guys have joined into the Discord, which has been a little bit more, a little bit more interesting lately. Nice. So we'll see. Lively. We'll, we'll see how it goes. If you guys are patrons and you haven't joined in yet, make sure to do that. We have some fun in there sometimes. I heard there, I heard, uh, there was some, some Bronson memes going there on. There were some Bronson getting shared around in there. That was a good time. I loved watching that clip of him killing a dude by strangling him by the dick. Double, <laughs> double handing yeah. the dude's dick until he died. Just good stuff. Oh, uh, I love this show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me is my co-host. Jamie Miller, welcome back. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys would have heard from us free listeners, and uh, we would have been talking Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. What a bunch of films. and 2003. Michael uh, Bay. It was a behemoth of an episode with uh, guest Diego Crespo, who yeah. went into <laughs> some of the... We talked an ins- hour on Bad Boys 2. Just absurd. It, it, <laughs> you, don't, you don't realize Deserving. that that movie deserves it until you actually sit down and watch it, and it is just a pure artifact yeah. of Bush-era filmmaking. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, if you haven't heard that Something episode... Something to behold. Again, any podcast listener of choice, that was uh, 
two weeks ago, that was the free episode. But last week, the patrons got their bonus episode and uh, kind of uh, hanging out in the uh, the American action id of filmmaking, we decided we would wrap up our uh, look at the Death Wish franchise. When we first started the episode, uh, the show around episode four or five, we did a, a, a look at the original Death Wish trilogy and we never got around to doing Death Wish 4 and 5, so we finally decided to do it for the patrons last week exclusively, and we did Death Wish 4, the crackdown. <laughs> which Love it every uh, time. Again, decide which crime he's taking down in that <laughs> yeah. movie. Uh, and in Death Wish 5, uh, the face of death, which are Very metal. some great subtitles, some great Bronson. And he literally just becomes a serial killer at one point. <laughs> Yeah, by by the end of the fifth one, he's he's literally just like a like a Jason character yeah. in his own franchise, just emotionlessly destroying people. Yeah, even though Bronson seemed to think his character was getting more sympathetic and more <laughs> down to earth. Unreal. What Unbelievable. a guy! <laughs> so again, if Great you want stash. that episode, patreoncom podcast. That was last week's bonus episode, but this week we have a, another very special guest joining us. Uh, the host of the Parents Just Don't Understand podcast, a podcast about children's media and parenting, a podcast that I have uh, been on myself, so maybe some of you guys have heard it before. We have the host with us, Kurt Schiller. Kurt, how are you doing? Hey, I am doing super great. A big fan of the show. Uh, Thank you for coming on my podcast and uh, super psyched to be here. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. I had a lot of fun talking about uh, horror films that may or may not be appropriate for children. (laughs) And uh, where's the intermediate line between scaring the shit out of them and introducing (laughs) them to the vocabulary of horror cinema? Um, That was a fun conversation that we had. And so I knew eventually we had to have Kurt on this show. And uh, because Kurt, I'm assuming as a a new father, he's watching all kinds of children's media, he's thinking about children's media and so of course i am you had to bring that with you today so what two films have you brought with you and why do these two pair together all right so i i have brought with me 1982's tron directed by stephen lisberger and uh 1984's the last starfighter directed by nick castle aka uh halloween's michael myers of course and uh i picked them because they are both as you say they are both uh 80s family sci-fi they both have video games as a gateway to other worlds and to adulthood and they both feature some of the earliest uses of uh, cgi in film there's a there's a lot there's a lot of similarities between the two i don't know there was something in the air in the 80s all right well that's a great intro there and um i wanted to ask you up front were these films for you as a kid oh my god yes uh yeah so there were probably like I, I don't know. I, I think I think most kids, um, at least at the time that I was growing up, I'm, I was born in, in like the, the early 80s. Um, so these were coming out around the time that I was born. Um, my father made a real um, effort to kind of like show me different films. Um, I, I used to go to work with him. Uh, he worked overnights uh, in, in Manhattan. Um, and there just wouldn't be anybody around. So sometimes I'd be there with him late and he'd just like bring some interesting, you know, movies on VHS to, to watch. Uh, and there was a lot of like fam, quasi family appropriate sci-fi. Um, so we watched stuff like the last starfighter and Sean. We also, um, definitely watched, uh, you know, star Wars. We watched some stuff like gremlins. Um, a little bit later on, we watched, uh, there, there was, there was this whole like realm of like 
mostly family friendly uh, sci-fi films. I feel like that came out in the wake of stuff like prob- probably specifically ET. Um, like, uh, what's that one? Uh, batteries not included. There was short circuit, short circuit two. It was like a whole subgenre that I, I think both of these films fit squarely into. And they what's were the, absolutely, what's the robot favorites. in short circuit? Is he J- Johnny five or something? Is that what he is? Johnny five. Johnny yes. five. Yes. <laughs> so I, I would say between ET and between star Wars, it seems like there was an entire catalog of cinema that was launched yeah. off of that. For sure. You definitely see, uh, see the inspirations 100%. Well, I mean, Last Starfighter. Oh, yeah, my. yeah. I mean, come on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll get into some of the specifics of it when we jump into it. Well, I think I think that's what we're going to do. I think we're going to jump into here. And usually we, uh, we, we tend to go sort of popularity of film first. And it also helps sometimes if that's chronology first. So yeah. that's what ends up working out today. We are going to jump into Tron. Let's do it. Hell yeah. On the other side of the screen... It all looks so easy. And even this ace of the arcade isn't ready to challenge them from the inside. Tron, an astonishing adventure odyssey that allows the eye to behold what only the imagination can reveal. Tron, its world awaits on the other side. Of the screen. All right, we are talking Tron, the 1982 American science fiction action adventure film, written and directed by Steven Lisberger, um, from a story by Lisberger and a lady named Bonnie McBird. Um, I believe that they have said that they came up with this by kind of like hanging out in arcades and watching the first. Uh, people play Pong, oh, and yeah. then also being people who were into software and computers, they just, that was the inspiration. That was where they came up yeah. with that story. Do you know if, uh, like, just to start it off, I guess, because it kind of opens with this game, the the bicycle game, that became pretty popular afterwards. Was this a Tron, like, original kind of thing? That- yeah, they they based that game on the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, there, oh, okay. There, there, was, there was a whole Tron cabinet, um, actually, uh, and there are some specific tie-ins uh, for the Tron arcade game, there's there's one scene that feels very tacked on where they mention, oh no, grid bugs, um, and it's like <laughs> it's never mentioned before or after, and that was literally just because like they were trying to include more tie-ins for the arcade game, and it was it was very popular. Oh, okay. um, the the arcade game is actually like considered like like a classic. Like the the people who play um, arcade games competitively, that's that's like one that's in heavy rotation. And it has uh, the light cycle game. Um, I believe it has tanks. It has uh, the like the like highlight disc game. Right. Um, and then it has once you complete all of them, I, I think there's even like, like like a destroy the MCP level, like they play at the end. So and it okay. it looks it looks like the Space Paranoids uh, game too. So it it very much is like part and parcel to to the film. Right. So they were they very were developing cool. the game inspired or developing the movie inspired by games and also developing games inside the film. Yeah. Uh, so. It is, I was, and, and I, was and I mean, there is a hierarchy cool. involved in gladiatorial games, just in the structure of the universe itself. Yeah, yeah. So it it is an interesting tie-in because, like, I think part of that is the fact that this is a Disney product, and yeah. they. But when they were originally conceiving the film, they, they it wasn't 
Like they they only took money from Disney when they basically had to, and Disney did have a little bit of a say in what they were doing. I was gonna say, did they there. did they implement anything specifically? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I haven't you know done enough of the research to say like yeah. if there was any specific things that Disney was like this has to be in there or too bad or whatever. For sure. Um, well, there's the hidden Mickey. Oh, oh, there there is. There is the giant Disney logo that's hidden um, in one of the the handful of like full CGI scenes that that they they included in there. See, I was um, looking and then, for this and somehow I missed it. Oh yeah, you were looking um, for it. It's right when they first start on the solar sailor, where they're kind of like flying along that that like laser beam. Um, and then the other thing that that Disney was able to help them do is, of course, you know, uh, this this film is fa- famous for being. I'm not sure if it was the first use of CGI in film, but it was certainly like one of the very first. Um, ones of this scale, like yeah. W- when yeah, there's like 26 or 27 out. minutes of CGI footage in this film, which they said yeah. at the time they, was 100 the most had ever been. Yeah, it yeah, had to be. Like they literally, um, they they could not print the CGI images to film yet, so they literally were filming monitors to like <laughs> get as silly as that sounds. Um, but like the most famous effect in the movie, that that like back glow that they have on on all of the characters once they're in the, the game world, uh, was it was hand animated. That's not CGI, and that was done by like the Walt Disney you know animation department, where they literally went frame by frame and drew those those like blue and red glowing lines over everybody's costumes. Wow. Except for, and, and interesting, I, I only know this because I actually did catch this in the research when I was doing for this film. There were a lot of Walt Disney animators who refused to work on this film oh, really? because mm-hmm. of the computer yep. shit. Because they were hand-drawn animators and they said, fuck your computer shit. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and they ended up being right. I mean, computers ended up losing all of them their jobs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty um, true. But they yeah. were also denied consideration um, for an Academy Award because they, they basically said, no, that's cheating, which is hilarious, like, hilarious to, to, to so think now, of now. Where it, uh, the only that's thing that gets awarded is. for VFX is the computer VFX, basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow, that's incredible. I mean, like, I can't even imagine trying to sell this film at the time because like, it, it didn't start within, within Disney. They developed it independently. Um, they're, the ideas that they were chasing after even were so far advanced. Like, you have to remember, this, this was developed – before Neuromancer, before Blade Runner, um, it came out, I believe, the same year as Blade Runner, like like r- r- maybe like a couple months after, I think. Um, and so, like, the idea of depicting a computer as a physical space was absolutely groundbreaking. Um, and generally, uh, Neuromancer, this like seminal cyberpunk novel by William Gibson, is usually credited with that. But I mean, Tron was doing that like uh, two years. Beforehand, so I, I can't even imagine trying to explain the concept of this film. What the hell was going yeah, you, you on? You don't even have like you know uh, cyberpunk widely out there to be like, yeah. here's what we're plan on selling, and they're like, what the f- computers? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. And not, not not only that, but here's this film uh, production method that's never been tried before. It's incredibly expensive, um, and we like we don't even completely know that it's going to work. Like I, I, I can't yeah. even imagine trying to sell that and I, I mean kudos to disney for like jumping on that and be like yeah sure we'll we'll try this yeah, it, it is surprising yeah, I, that they took such a risk because it well, does I sound mean, like i one. mean at the time this was back when disney was like actually not doing very well like it, it, oh, it, it wasn't okay. until the disney renaissance stuff in the 90s i mean shit they almost went bankrupt before the 90s right yeah, uh, trauma is might have been part of the reason i don't know <laughs> I, don't, I, uh, it, I don't think it was a huge success but they might have made a lot of that money back on the video games and the branding and everything else yeah, that they I made out of so. it and stuff like that um, but yeah, but no, this was a very expensively made film. Shit, they shot this on seventy millimeter black and white photography. 
Oh, wow. Uh, and then is that where you get like the, uh, that's why you get all their like gray faces. So then what they did is they, Mm -hmm. they, they painted animated and then they backlit the colors so that they kind of like glow out. Yeah. So that was the, the process. It was a, it was a tiny bit of rotoscoping. It was a tiny bit of hand-drawn animation and then backlighting those film images. But the actual stock photographs, if you just look at them, it's just people wearing like hand, like just like a white shirt with like (laughs) black Sharpie marker on it. Oh my God. And like them, uh, so them filming it, especially with no, you know, real knowledge of what this is going to look like. They have no prior oh, it films to look at. probably looked like at. the most moronic thing. Like, yeah, none of those were, actors could have taken it I seriously. bet they were nervous. I bet Bridges was <laughs> a little nervous doing this film. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I mean, there's, there's even stuff like, um, so they originally wanted to have the computer look, uh, the inside of the computer was supposed to look like THX 1138, where everything was going to be white and very like uh, yes. brutalist, and it was it was too difficult and too expensive to animate that way. So they said, "Well, let's let's just make everything black." Like, and and they actually um, there was apparently like a catchphrase that uh, I'm not sure if it was the like director of photography or like the guy in, in charge of the animation was saying like, "When in doubt, black it out." Like, like just just make make the make everything black so can, that and we then, can we, just, then we can color it later. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone needs a walkthrough of Tron. I feel like Tron is like a pretty well. A, a pretty well-known thing, but for, for anyone who maybe hasn't seen Tron, you know, we, we, we like to do this for those people. Yeah, Some yeah. of you are out there. There's probably one of you. Out is, there. I mean, it's a pretty, it's pretty basic in the sense of the, just the overall plot. Jeff Bridges is like, yo, you stole my games and I'm going to get those games, baby. Yeah. But then there's a twist. He's digitized. Yes. The master control program, which has kind of gone on the loose after the uh, employee who has plagiarized uh, Jeff Bridges all of his great games and then sold them into arcades and stuff and Jeff Bridges just owns an arcade where you know he makes money off the quarters of the kids what playing his games. What a pad too. Just yeah. right that above the arcade. The thing in my childhood like when I was eight years old I was like I want to live above an arcade that I own <laughs> Dude, and yes. hang out in, a, in, in like a cool jeans jacket with like long flow <laughs> like hair beanbag you know, chairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but two programmers who uh, he worked with, or I guess uh, software engineers who he worked with at the company. I think it's called the M- Ncom company. Ncom, yeah. yes, yes. Ncom. Who and and the guy who works there uh, stole his shit. What's the guy's name? Who's the guy who stole Dillinger. his shit? Dillinger. Dillinger, right? And, and in in the Tron world, his 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 alter ego's name is Sark. Ah, right, 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 right. I'm going to be honest with you. While watching this, this is my second or third time watching this it. This is my second, yeah. I've always had a hard time kind of following this movie for some reason. Me too. Even though it's a children, I don't know why. It's always a, but I mean, like, even though it's so basic, I've just always had to kind of, like, walk myself through, like, what exactly is happening yeah. sometimes. I guess it's just because the space and the design is sometimes so odd. I think um, it's a- almost distracting at times too. Like I found myself just kind of looking at <laughs> the sets themselves, just yeah. trying to figure out what they're doing. Cause you know, it is dated at this point. I think it kind of works because they're in a retro game. So this kind of dated CGI really works well to represent the game itself. Yeah. Uh, but there are scenes still where it's like, you can see, you know, kind of the green screen line and stuff like that. And I found myself looking at more of the technical aspects than the actual plotting a lot of the time personally. So, so I, I found the visual, I, I had very much the same experience, but I found the, the, the visuals 
Um, watch it. This is one of the first times I've watched it as an adult. Um, and I've watched it innumerable yeah, times as a kid. And the visuals of the computer world are so unusual and interesting, like just on an, on an artistic level. Yeah, like right. it's there's so many bright colors, these weird, very like 1980s color schemes and like transitions. Um, so uh, apparently, um, both uh, Jean Giraud, uh, the artist usually known as uh, Mobius, who did a lot of work on uh, the heavy metal. Um, cartoon anthology that came out around the same time. Um, Very awesome. We a lot of the that. designs. Uh, and then uh, Sid Mead, who, of course, fa- famously did a lot of the industrial design for, I believe, Aliens and Blade Runner, um, both yep. worked on the design Sweet. of the film. And, like, it has such a strong, like, visual sense to, like, the computer world that even though, like, yeah, it looks dated, it projects just such a strong stylistic sense that, yeah. like, it, like, yeah, it, it works. Yeah, there were there were people definitely like coming up with these designs and they are like unique. And sometimes it's like pretty arresting, like some of the images that they've come up with. The only time for me I get a little bit um, is is sometimes like when they get those big shots of the ships and they're clearly doing the Star Destroyer shot from Star Wars. And and, and the only thing that throws me off about it is that I'm thinking about the Star Wars miniatures and how (laughs) like the texture of those miniatures, like you could reach out and touch that Star Destroyer. Whereas with this, there's a weird black void quality where it's very clearly a CG element that's moving through a black void. So that's the only uh, like shots that they picked that like stand out to me as like where I go, Oh, something's weird about this Mm -hmm. Uh, because otherwise the whole thing is so weird that eventually you kind of just like get into it. Like nothing about like the motorbike racing or anything threw me off. I mean, especially when they do interiors and you at least get the textures of, of the people who are like illuminating onto each other and stuff like that. Like that stuff still looks just awesome. Yeah, the, definitely. The, the motorbike sequence, um, j- just like the visual language of it, I was really impressed by because I, I mean, like, again, like nobody had ever made, uh, like a film using these techniques before. And they really came in like both guns blazing. Like, like they, they were not just like, people will be impressed by this. Like even the, I, I mean, I guess like the cinematography at times of the digital world is the, they're, they're doing like weird Dutch angles. Um, what they're doing, the, the, like, the, like POV shots, uh, almost like, uh, like, like something out of like a, a Grand Prix as like, like the light bikes are going into these like glowing tunnels that the other bikes are leaving is like very like engaging and interesting and tense to me. Yeah. They, they even have, I remember one specific shot. It was when Jeff Bridges is controlling one of the, the guard things like that. He's shooting a bunch of people on mm-hmm. and they do this nice, cool thing where it shows him doing a turn with it. And then the camera kind of swoops the opposite way it's almost mm. like a half michael bay move in a way and uh and, oh, right. and it's well, really and, effective well i was gonna say and that's the shot that also he steals from star wars too when they're in the, the oh uh, yeah where they're the, trying the to gunners. get the tie fighters right right yeah 100%. Okay, absolutely um 100%. the other thing that that jumped out at me uh just talking about like the ideas in the world um and th- this i think is uh maybe part of why the plot is hard to follow the it, this this didn't occur to me until i watched it as an adult the movie treats the computer world almost like uh, like a spiritual realm that people yes. also exist on. Um, and I thought that was so interesting and it totally changed the way that I looked at the film. So like um, the, the Steven Lisberger and his co-writer, when they were working on it, um, specifically wanted they, they were specifically thinking about the way that people's information was represented now inside of computer systems. And it occurred to them like, well, doesn't that also mean that we also kind of have a digital self that exists independent of our physical self? 
And the movie takes that metaphor and runs with it where like the, the MCP is the only thing that kind of spans the two worlds. It exists in both the real world and in the digital world. And then each other character has a digital counterpart that exists in the real world. I mean, in both the real world in that each other character has a digital counterpart that exists in the Tron world that in some way their motivations parallel their real world selves but it's almost yeah. like they're engaging in spiritual combat, like between Flynn and uh, Dillinger, by going into this 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 other world where they have like these weird supernatural well, powers. It's, it, it, it's it, a strange it, it's, thing because it's making the struggle of the film, which is you know it is it's clearly uh, you know Flynn versus Dillinger in like you know can he prove that he plagiarized his content and can they you know uh, so there's clearly like like a battle happening there. And then that yeah. battle is then literalized and turned into a physical battle, or I guess a digital battle, like in the, in the actual digital world. But it, the way that it's presented is physical. It is like you are, if you are a programmer, you are a bit like you are a physical thing in this digital world that exists. Yeah. Although the one thing that kind of threw me off about that, and I guess it's a children's film, so I can't knock it too hard for that, is that at a certain point I was kind of like, these are human characters representing not humans and they kind of like bow to the users. And there's was, like a weird hierarchy yeah. that's created between the user characters who are the humans that we like. Yeah. And then these, these, these other virtual versions of themselves, but then also there's a hierarchy amongst the virtual versions of themselves. Yeah. That I think, I mean, part there, of the why they're trying to disrupt that. I guess even a line of, of dialogue where he talks to the Jeff Bridges character. And yeah. this is the actual user, like actually Jeff Bridges. And, uh, and he says something like along the lines of, well, you're a user. Isn't this all according to your plan? So I think they almost view them as like as the like creator, a God. The, the yeah, creator, yeah, the God. They yeah, exactly. View them as 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 gods, um, and I, yeah. I think they're they're very explicit about the fact that like belief in the physical world is a religion for the programs, um, right? Which is I, which is I, just the thing that I feel like. Uh, you can't take quite as seriously as it is in a children's film. Yeah, because yeah. that's actually it's really a, fucking yeah. grim when you think about that. Philosoph- yeah, <laughs> philosophical question for sure. Because because I mean, the, because they, then they you actually- start having to look at these programs as like people with an economy, with a religious structure, with well, like a. It's interesting you say that because there's even a glimpse, and it's it's just like a one second thing. And Jeff Bridges is uh, running through something or running away from someone, and it seems like he almost goes into this street life. For five seconds, yes. where there's this like there's this woman who's just kind of on, in the alleyway, and I, I mean I don't know if it's applying <laughs> like implying she's a hooker or something, but <laughs> like it, it's weird because it seems like he goes into this street life for a moment, and it gives yeah. this sense of uh, that that people actually live here, and not just within the games, but just normally, and there's there might even be like a, a class hierarchy or something like that. Yeah, and and the I, I mean. There's a bunch of lines that are explicitly talking about the the religion of the the users. They actually even call um, the the people who maintain the the towers that let them speak to the outside world. Like uh, Sark is saying, you know, we're going to like exterminate your 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 hokey religion. 
Um, and the, the one guy who's like the, the older guy who's in this kind of weird chair for, for a, like a bunch of the movie, um, says something like our spirit remains in every program we've ever built for this system in, in the physical world. Like the actual, the actual real life character is talking about it in these religious terms too. Um, and it's such a weird, as you say, like they can't fully explore it because it's a children's film, but it almost makes me feel like this, this film was developed um, intending it to be like more serious than it wound up being because well, yeah, like, you it, think it, that it, might it, be the Disney it, aspect. Well, because it, it it seems like they could have gone full out like institutional theocracy shit. Oh, on easily our asses. with like the master <laughs> controller and all that stuff. Easily they could have done that. Yeah, and and yeah, it it does seem like instead we have to have Jeff Bridges kind of like fly a ship around for like a few minutes. Yeah, because we love Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is, you know, it's, 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 it's fine. I think it's passable. I think, I think it's like, I, I still enjoy watching the film, but I definitely feel I do like feel disconnected from just like the, the plot and the characters. Well, themselves. some of the character, like, yeah, after a certain it's point, fun. it does feel but, like a little bit of a design showcase, but, and it yeah, sucks yes, because you can tell that bit. they have ideas. The filmmakers have ideas and then it, it kind of, that feels, would be worth exploring. And it sure. kind of feels like they get a little bit stuck in the, uh, the gaminess of their own plot where they have yeah. to defeat the master control program. The, big baddie. the guys have to get the money and get their helicopter and be <laughs> friends again and have get control of heli, his, man. get control of his IP. And like, so there's, it's just interesting that like, there's, there's a universe here that there's an implied, like actually insane depth to the world of the universe that yeah. they in, and then uh, unfortunately they just the movie it's not the kind of movie where they might actually explore that no they just give you glimpses and then kind of just go but he's still got to get his games so and it's rad helicopter but, but it's such an odd experience because the design work is there the thought is there yeah yeah um so. The thing that they start to explore that I really wish they had gone much more heavily into is the way that um, like the master control program is almost a metaphor for like big business or like capitalism or like economic drivers because it talks in these very like transactional terms. And if you look at the relationship between the master control program and uh, Dillinger in the real world and, and Sark in the digital world, the, the real world Dillinger is this person who thinks that he is, I think he's like the executive senior vice president or something. And he, <laughs> Which he is thinks just a, he is a like nothing a master of men. term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like he's this master of men, but he's totally subservient to this computer program that he utterly depends upon to do everything. And then in the digital world, it's represented as exactly what the relationship is, where Sark is just like the lackey of this computer program that um, he, he even talks about like I uh, n no one person could create me. I am the product of millions of your man hours. And it's <laughs> right. really this like super superhuman force now that is trying to not just dominate any individual actors. One of my favorite point. lines actually was when the CEO is like, you can't do that. And, and then, and then the, the uh, computer responds with, I have become 2,415 times smarter than the last yes. time you checked. <laughs> so, like, the specificity, the, the, the uh, specific number just makes me laugh so fucking hard. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of like, it, it is, it's an ever evolving piece of technology, I guess. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like Audrey too in uh little shop of horrors. He just keeps oh, feeding yeah. it. He keeps feeding it. And, and then it becomes like this big thing that he can't control any longer. Um, because it is interesting because he has that mindset. He even tells the one guy who's like supposed to be like the employee who's kind of on the side of the users. And he kind of, he says like, 
this stuff is, you know, meant to serve us or whatever in, in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And then the guy says, no, it serves the business. It serves the model. It serves. And he even like straight up tells the guy that. And then I was sitting there thinking, we're talking about people. These are people in this digital world. They don't serve anybody. Yeah, yeah. So like that was the weird disconnect I had with the movie where I don't know that it took the program stuff. Like it was like it humanized the programs, but then didn't have the characters fully humanize the programs. Yeah. And, I, yeah. I will say that. Uh, for except sure. for Jeff Bridges, I guess, who like sort of, I mean, I don't know by the end for sure, but Jeff Bridges who has to directly interact with them. There is that one scene where, like where one of the guys when, sacrificed himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there is like sadness, but it does it does kind of feel like they use them as pawns a little bit, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and it does take away the character. Oh, and they, that, that was what drew like threw it off for me because they were just dying all of the time, and I was like, oh, I feel so bad for all these yeah, programs. Yeah, <laughs> and then you um, think, oh, they're programs, right? And well, at least that's what you're supposed to feel. That's what you're supposed to feel. Yes. There's this one line um, that jumped out at me where, like, it really made me think that they were planning to do something a lot more with this, where um, the the high priest character says, all that is visible must grow beyond itself and extend into the realm of the invisible. And I'm like, what is this line doing in this movie? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> now shoot the laser at the thing. <laughs> yeah, get it. There's, there's also this, um, like, the, the way that they set up um, Dillinger and Flynn as counterparts, where they both live at the top of this business that they have, that, that they control, where Flynn lives on top of, of his arcade in this kind of isolated room in what I, I have to mention is kind of like like a permanent adolescence. And I, I really liked yeah. that that metaphor where they're like, you could have been somebody and you're just playing video games. And he's kind of like, no, like, like, this is cool. This is who I am. Um, and then you have, of course, Dillinger, who also is this like isolated existence on top of a skyscraper. And, and again, I, I feel like they were trying to do so much more with this than than a they need to in the final product, and b than than they got a chance to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I I, and I, I mean, we'll never really know for sure. But I, I just, I, I listened to Listenberger talk about the film, and I'm like, dude, that film sounds amazing. And then I watch <laughs> the film, and I'm always like. Yeah, it's sort of there. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's it's the there. that's the vibe I'm getting is is like I, I see glimpses of all of these really cool philosophical ideas, but just the film that they made doesn't allow them to dive into any of that. Uh, at least on a deep scale. And I, like I, I do just, feel like part of it has to be when you, you know, the, the crux of your money, the majority of your money comes from a company like Disney. I have a feeling that yeah. they're going to tell you, hey, man, we're going to design products around this. We're going to we need yeah. this. If we're going to spend this much money on it, we need this have, you know, returns on the video games and the toys and right. and, and things of this nature. That always fucks things up. <laughs> just so the, the part of the movie that really drops it for me where it to me, it's it, it like kind of falls flat it kind of falls flat is like the very ending where it just all of a sudden cuts to, and now he's the CEO and here he comes on his helicopter. Here comes the boss. And then it just ends. Yeah. That was what Jamie nice said in his it, review. My, my review was simply, and then he got a rad heli and they lived happily ever <laughs> after. And I'm like, that's cause that's, it felt weird because once again, we see glimpses of these like deeper thoughts and then they just wrap it up with him becoming a CEO. The and society then, of people who live under the slavery of the users. Nothing's changed. <laughs> and, it's just now Jeff Bridges is, is in charge. And you're like, well, you'd hope that Bridges would do a little bit better of a job. But there's still so many people 
that he has responsibility for now, and I just don't know if he's going to be able to pull that off. <laughs> well, it, 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 he also doesn't seem like, like a character who would want to be CEO. That, no. Yeah, that too. It, it did seem a little jarring because he's such a just kind of a laid back bro. He's the dude, you know, so it's uh, that did seem odd to see him come out of the heli with like a suit on and all that shit. I'm like, this guy would not be. I don't know if he'd be as stoked in that position. As the guy who loved hanging itself. out in the arcade. Now he's alone at the top of the skyscraper. Yeah, yeah. That It just seemed really disconnected from the rest of the movie. And uh, that was odd for sure. It's th- that is, I believe, the only day shot in the film. Also, like all the rest of the oh, movie yeah. takes place at night. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think and, so. Um, and it, it it allows them to do that really neat effect with uh, the the super cool heli, where um, when when Dillinger is arise is arriving in it, it, it has the the like glowing neon on it that yeah. makes it look like it's in the computer world, even though they're in the real world, which they haven't. I guess they they've shown you a little bit of of the computer world at, at that time, so it's not totally out of nowhere. But that would have been pr- pretty clever if they hadn't even shown you any of the computer world. And they're like they're like foreshadowing the the look and feel of it. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, at what speaking of like trying to engage with like the the bigger themes that it seems like they wanted to include, um, n- not that we have time or that we would want to get into the sequel, which I, I don't have very you know high a uh, very high opinion of, but I think, <laughs> I think they I've seen try it. to do that in in the sequel, and it kind of they, they kind of screw it up. Um, oh like it really? Does, it feels very forced, like. Like it feels like they're doing the opposite of like they're taking this thing that feels like it should be like a kid's movie and they're like, we're going to talk about what what is the nature of man? What is the nature of existence? <laughs> Damn. See, it was one of the things, but now we're complaining that this one doesn't do that and that that one. Yeah. You know, I got to see this. They have to strike the balance somewhere. <laughs> they've, they've yet to find it. The, the, the sequel went too far to the philosophical realm and the and the other then the first one just went too far with the kiddie stuff. Oh, man. That's interesting, though. They'll, they'll make a third one, and they'll get it just right. Yeah, I, I like the remake, although I found out, like, watching this, I'm like, oh, the remake is just literally a, like, plot-for-plot plot beat remake of this one. I'm it talking is, about yeah. the 2000, like, whatever yeah, one. Yeah, the 2010 one, right? Yeah, which yeah, I actually it, do like. Because it's sort of a sequel, because he goes in and gets Jeff Bridges, right? Yeah, it's what I'm thing. saying, though, is the way that it plots out, even when it comes to the games that they play, the oh, order right. of the games that they play, it's all the oh, same the, the, plot. The, the, the gladiator shit Yeah, that they all do. of it. Yeah, yeah. It even it's, ends with the big ship battle and everything. So, But, but of course, the, the, the sequel gets to a very weird place where they have a computer leave do do the like agent smith thing and leave the computer world and come into the real world and then it just ends and you're like oh, oh okay uh, <laughs> oh my god i almost want to watch it just to see that yeah like, I, that I, sounds I, interesting i vaguely remember catching this but this came out in like 2010 so i would have been in high school when i saw it so i don't remember it like yeah. hardly anything I, I, what, what I, this? Made, I made my poor wife um <laughs> then my fiance uh go to a midnight showing of the john sequel that's awesome <laughs> Good stuff. That's, That's awesome. That's what we like to hear. You could be like, it's children's psychedelia, I oh, swear. <laughs> so I, I actually, you might have already corrected me on this. When you say Tron sequel, are you referring to one that's... The, the 2010. Oh, it is the 2010. Yeah, there the, isn't one after No, yeah, Tron, Tron oh, Legacy, okay. yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. There was a video game, um, which which actually... So it's, it's funny because like the video game tries to take everything very seriously and kind of succeeds, but like also like it's a video game and it's, <laughs> I mean, it's fun, yeah. but it's... It, and then they kind of like 
drop it and try it again with the movie. There's also uh, apparently like uh, a cartoon show that was produced after the sequel movie didn't do especially well that I, I haven't watched, but I think takes place between them. So like they were trying to, they were really trying in like the late two thousands to turn this into like a real franchise. And I think it, it, I don't think the bones of a franchise are there in these films. No, probably not. I mean, maybe if somebody grabbed onto it and, and tried to do something, I don't, yeah, it, it doesn't feel, it feels like they've kind of, uh, they've done everything they could with it. I mean, I don't know how else you're going to, I would like to see more of these philosophical questions be, you know, looked at, but it just seems like uh, at this point it would be forced a little bit. People just have to keep getting shot with these these like lasers that teleport them into the computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because because we, it shouldn't be understated that once they get into the computer, it is like uh, like design wise, it is very intriguing to watch. Like I can watch oh, the, yeah. the the whole thing and just be like interested in like design choices and be interested in camera placement and how they achieved certain effects. And that's what um, I found how there, I watched it. There, the there is a the little bit of like a lack of detail and texture to it, but it, it, it's, it's able to be forgiven once you realize the fact that like they are doing the first CG effects that like anybody ever did in like a feature film like this. And you said like, it's like 30 minutes of it too. Like there's yeah, tons like it's, of it. It's ridiculous. And then also when you get into the actual, like the filmic effect, like it is really complex layered, um, stuff like shooting on that 70 millimeter black and white and getting those luminance effects and doing a little bit of animation and rotoscoping and everything that they, they did on it. And it creates this kind of unnatural feeling that I do think actually works for the film and, and gets you into this weird universe where things you're looking at human faces, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel quite right. It doesn't yeah. feel human in the way that it should. And then you just wish that the movie took that extra step and went for a little bit of urgency and wrestled with the fact that we're looking at the real world actors playing these programs. And technically these users are like creating life and they are myths to this life. Yeah. And it's, it's all <laughs> like kind of there. It's just, they don't seem as concerned about that life as they should. They are more concerned about Jeff Bridges getting his IP back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, Jeff Bridges is more concerned about it too. Like that that's what I thought the funniest thing was is like the 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 he gets out of the computer world and back into the real world and he just takes his computer printout and was like, "Well, that was weird." And walks away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the most like one of the craziest, most significant moments anyone could have in their lifetime. And he just kind of yeah, he takes the floppy disk out and he's like, "Well, I've got my millions of dollars in my <laughs> helicopter, so we're all fucking good. Don't no need to question what I just went through." <laughs> yeah, there there was no weird uh, sort of like institutions and yeah. uh, society built inside of. This like psychedelic people, game world of colors and lasers that I people built. People died in front of him. <laughs> like he's just like, well, shit, I did what I had to do. I do want to say I got um, light bike back. <laughs> I do want to say we've we've talked a lot about like the the cinematography in the digital world. Um, I I do think there are some nice like corporate office shots mm -hmm. that almost felt very like uh, like devil's advocate-y or like Scrooge-y um, where they're like running around these very like barren, inhuman, like opposing offices in the real world. And it really does like make the characters feel very cramped and small. And it, it, there's, there's, yeah. there's a couple shots that even reminded me of something like a very low rent version of something from uh, from Blade Runner where they show like Dillinger seated you know, in front of this this giant window showing like a cityscape 
off in the distance behind him that were like like they were clearly trying to make even the real world part visually interesting which which yeah. I, I think is something that you would not say as much about the next movie that we're going to talk about <laughs> that i can say for good sure. transition yeah and, and uh, pivoting towards the reductive rating round on this one i think this one's going to get kind of like uh this one's going to go for the three for me maybe even yeah. a tiny bit of a of a lower three just because i kind of wish there was just a little bit more of a hint to some of the stuff that we've talked about i mean shit when when this came out this must have been pretty amazing to see visually and maybe just cause I don't have a little bit of the nostalgia for it either. I kind yeah. of, I've only really come at this as an adult. Mostly I, I don't really have that attachment cause critics at the time fucking compared it to metropolis. Really? Yeah. Which, wow. and I was thinking like, okay, I don't know that they it's mean quite that on like a German expressionist. Like they, well, maybe I, they just meant it on a technical level. Cause I know metropolis has a lot of like innovative sci-fi elements. Well, yeah, but that's just it. I, I think if you compare it to that, but you miss the fact that half of metropolis is like the anxiety and the mood and the political right. considerations of like that society and the way that it's been organized and the way that they actually think about that and the horror of it. This one doesn't quite get there. I think no. Ebert was probably closer <laughs> I mean, Ebert thought it was a masterpiece, but he at least described it mostly as a dazzling sound and light show oh, was okay. what kind of like he went for there. Um, so, yeah, I just think if there was a little bit more of like, you know, Lisberger clearly had ideas for this film. And I think if he was able to get them more into the structure and into, you know, the variety of sequences that are actually in the film and was able to maybe get a little bit less of the game sequences or, or at least even find a way to, I mean, shit, some of those characters die in those game sequences. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and and none of the characters too. think it's all that crazy because I mean, they're just computer programs. Right. He uh, domes Sark with his disc and his brains blow out the back of his head. Exactly. Yeah. Like that there's was a like, brain split in this movie. Cra- there's also an insanely gruesome death in Last Starfighter that I don't think the movie takes as quite oh, yeah. as seriously yeah, as I was. This. I can't wait to get to that because I was like, this is a fucking children's movie, right? That definitely, uh, affects those there yeah um and so yeah for for me i think it was just a constraint of the kind of film that they were making and maybe a little bit of the time and how expensive it would have been and how alienating it might have been to take some of this stuff seriously um but there there is just a weird lack of like emotion and mood and so i feel like i like this film more as kind of like a flat curiosity yeah um that's you know occasionally really interesting um to look at and uh, maybe it's not the fault of the film. Maybe it's my fault that I wish that a children's film was like sociological. <laughs> yeah. Psychological. yeah. I'm kind of having that vibe too. So yeah, I, I, maybe I'm, it's too much to ask of Disney, but because of that, I, that's why I'll give it the, I definitely enjoy watching this film. So I'll give it the three. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I'm going to give it a three as well. I just, uh, seeing the, the hints of something deeper makes me want to see that. And uh, like there's even, you know, this, the, the scene where they're playing the disc game and the floorboard like uh, keeps disappearing or whatever. Yes. Like the program holds on for dear life and it's like, I don't want to go. So like <laughs> it's, it's obvious that they have a sense of life and some and survival. Like it's not just a game right. to them. And, and so to see that and then to have like a lack of emotion throughout most of it is, is just a, a, a weird disconnect. Right. And, uh, and then for the Jeff yeah. Bridges character, the character who experiences the direct supposed humanity of these programs, yeah, to then immediately be like, but... that was fucking weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, like that's that's one of the few moments of like big emotion that his character has is incongruously when he sees that that character die, like the first person that he's seen die. Yes. He, he goes from just standing there passively to it cuts to him going, "No!" Yeah. And like that felt like something that they had like like a different take or something that they they brought For in sure. because then it cuts back to him and he's just like standing there again. <laughs> yeah, I actually made that in my notes that it felt like the no did feel odd compared to the rest of the the scene. So it 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 did feel a little jarring and it 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 felt like they knew that they had to add a little bit more of an emotional tone to it at times and and because of that it just feels a little bit like it's forced in there rather than it's natural and they're actually thinking about it or uh, or diving into the philosophical yeah, it seems stuff. like the ideas were there and then they were forced to kind of restructure them a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So yeah, I, I I still think I mean it's it's visually uh, intriguing for sure, and to to see like eighty two that's that's crazy to to watch all this like CGI and and just the fact that they pulled it off because this this the, was the fact a, that this works at all is actually yeah, an achievement. It's in a, itself, it's pretty so. amazing. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it the solid three for you, Kurt. I think for me, um, you know, I I think I'm a little bit more forgiving about the the places that it doesn't go. Um, like I, I agree. It leaves so much on the table that like they, that this is not even, I, I don't think this is even a two hour movie. They pack so much into it. Um, and yeah, they don't really fully explore so much stuff in it. Um, but between the like technical difficulty of what they're doing, the interestingness of the, the like art, the art direction in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they actually are like trying to grapple with this notion of the digital realm as like a parallel spiritual world with these like religious like undertones um and an like, extension of ourselves yeah exactly yeah that like we exist what we look as like an even. of ourselves like that's something that is relevant now um and is honestly more relevant like th- this was before anybody understood what the internet was apart from like a very limited number of people like right. there was so like like I've I've been online almost since there was an online to to be on, um, and like it took our modern conception of like having a digital life, uh, like that, that's apart from our physical life, a long time to to develop. And they were like a decade and a half ahead of of anyone else in thinking about this in terms of like story terms. Yeah. Um, so I'm oh, it trims, bumps it up to a four just because. Nice. Like they, they're really trying. And also in the back of my head, there is an eight year old doing five, five, watch it again, watch it again. So like, like if I'm totally, totally honest, like, you know, me in my thirties, it's probably a three, but I'm, I'm going to let my inner child push it up to a four. Nice Go for it. Yeah. I, I also I appreciate that. I, I wanted to let you guys know just, just how crazy it was that they were doing this on computers at the time. Uh, when they did this, the key special effects of the film they were doing on a computer that only had two megabytes of memory <laughs> and 300 megabytes of storage. Wow. That's They amazing. were doing feature film special effects on like, you can't even find like, uh, like flip drives or yeah. like, that small anymore. That's crazy. <laughs> and those were super computers. Yeah. At the time. <laughs> yeah. <They> were, like, <laughs> those are the top of the line. <laughs> those are that's like, the mainframe shit. shit. Yeah. <laughs> These were these are computers that were such high end things that um uh there's a company called Cray that uh like was very dominant in the like the early computer graphics space and they used to be spoken of in like like hushed terms like they were the supercomputer guys 
Um, and uh, they they made computers that had benches built into them, like nicely upholstered <laughs> leather benches so that you could like hang around and sit on your supercomputer that cost <laughs> like $150,000. Oh, man. Good stuff. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for Tron. We are going to be right back, and we are going to be talking about The Last Starfighter. Oh, yeah. Alex Rogan. Alex? is the last starfighter for every earthling who's ever imagined traveling beyond the stars maybe there is a starfighter left i love you alex rogan comes the unforgettable story of one who made it the last starfighter All right, we are back, and we are talking The Last Starfighter, the 1984 American space opera film. I guess there's a lot of it that's not space opera. They're saying yeah. space opera. I guess that's Moments when they get into space. of space opera. For sure. It's more... It's like a sex comedy and almost like a, like a teen slasher film at times. Yeah, a little bit of a, a, little yeah. bit of a sex comedy, a little bit of just like a, a coming-of-age adventure style thing, yeah. like a little bit of that spielberg wonder and awe going on there but the film is directed by nick castle most famous for directing this film dennis the menace and (laughs) obviously playing michael myers in uh john carpenter's small role there halloween films uh but i also realized he was in dark star i don't remember who he was in dark oh cool but he was in that as well which was like a john carpenter like uh film school sci-fi project so okay either way the last starfighter follows uh lance guest who is an actor i haven't seen very much uh yeah, i i'm not sure he's uh, one of those people where when you look him up on wikipedia it says he's best known for appearing in the the film that you are watching him in right now yeah right although although i'm looking at it now and his actually his most popular credit is actually halloween 2 which we've seen Oh, he's See, in Halloween too. He must have been one of the kids or something. Yeah, it must have been the, one of the first people to die. <laughs> yeah, it, it came out three years before Last Starfighter, so interesting. But either way, he plays a, a guy named Alex Rogan, who is a great gamer. Oh yeah, and the best. He 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 loves playing the Starfighter game, and then he realizes one day. I mean, he's got a bit of a he's he's a, he's a bit unhappy because he's he's poor. He lives in he lives in a trailer park. He's trying to escape it. He's trying to go to school, but his scholarship's being denied. So yeah. he's 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 kind of forced to hang around and help out the the adorably quirky locals. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, get really good at a specific video game. Right, but one day he hits that that points. He breaks that million points. Which, by the way, I love love that the community all huddles around him. He gets like so it's this huge thing. If I man. If the number of times, and later on, even in the scene, they're like still congratulating him on breaking the high score. Like it's three hours later and, and Dave from The Neighbor is just like, you beat that high score, man. Good for you. And I would just kill to have that kind of recognition for gaming. Yeah. My God. The whole community comes around and supports you. That's I, I mean, That stuff. was not like totally, I, I mean, it's it's exaggerated for the film, um, but like the, the the time that this film is taking place really was part of that very like the first time that video games were in popular culture Mm. and it is hard to overstate just how much of an impact they made initially um like 
like they literally had a a, a shortage of quarters um, <laughs> when Pac Man first blew up. Like it was a big thing that was everywhere in popular culture for for a while. So like it's exaggerated for effect, and of course it's like it's super corny and hooky now. Yeah, did, I love did, it. Though. Did you did you go to the arcade? What's that? Did you go to the arcade? All the time. Um, yes, there was, was an arcade local mall. Uh, my game was actually pinball. I'm actually a pinball guy, nice. um, which is like an old head uh, freak <laughs> sort of video game thing to be doing at the arcade. Um, between that and the the, the like light gun um, games were were my games. Um, if we're talking like classic classic arcade games, it's got to be like Joust. I, I think is is tops for me. So I'm not going to be flying any starfighters, but maybe <laughs> I could ride around on an ostrich. And uh, duel with people at you know uh, nights over lava maybe. <laughs> yeah. A medieval time traveler is on the way to you. Yes. Well, well, he scores a million points on this Starfighter game, and next thing he knows, the creator of the game has pulled up, which is just creepy right away when it happens. Yeah. Pulls out. And he's <laughs> and like, like a son, DeLorean too. Son, get in my car. Yeah. You win the prize. And I was like, don't get in that car, man. <laughs> yeah, this is weird. This <laughs> is suspect. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's true that they did model the car directly after the Back to the Future DeLorean. I figured, yeah. yeah. Um, they got the doors and all that. But he gets into the car. He flies to space in the car. And he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. And there, this is, I mean, sort of like Tron, this also has, this is like very, very CG heavy space stuff. Yeah. Um, but this is closer to like that adventure kind of tone that oh, you saw sure. a little bit more in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, that's very clearly they're aping a little bit of Star Wars on this one. I mean, some of the vocabulary of the dogfighting and the ships and even stuff like, like, yeah, that like the meeting that they have in the space program kind of thing, like where you see all the different alien species <laughs> that are all going to fight alongside each other. It's, it's heavy Star Wars for sure. It's, it's very much like the Luke Skywalker briefing scene where he's yes. like, all I want rats in my T-16 back home. It's like, <laughs> exactly from, from, from that scene. Um, even like the look of, the command center where they are is like a weird mashup of uh, Star Wars and Spaceballs. Like at, at times, <laughs> like you could tell this does not have a Star Wars budget or like Star Wars set expertise. And it does at times feel like it should be a parody of uh, like, like, or, or, or like a satire instead of like a somewhat serious film, which, yeah. which like very mixed, mixed feelings as I was watching it. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I do think that because of that and, and the fact that it, once again, it's a kid's movie, it, it added, kind of a charm to me. I always love looking at these old, like, actual prosthetic makeups and all that kind of stuff. So so to see all the alien species and, and how different they all were was interesting, but it's it's definitely, you know, dated, for sure. I actually also thought that the this idea that the reason for the popularity of these video games, like, where did all these machines just come from? That a guy put them there as a recruiting tool for yeah. warriors is yeah. just kind of funny. And, like, I actually thought that it was, a like, a, like not an, like a, like a terribly boring idea. So when they oh, take him sure. up top and they're like, you've got the stuff, kid. And he's like, I just play games in my park. Um... Like, I I do. Yeah, I, but we set them up. <laughs> I I did not sign up to like get into a spaceship and start yeah, like killing at least people and like, being killed. You no, know, like, most games now because you have to go online. There's an accept and a decline for a contract. All right, <laughs> there should have been at least that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, I accept that if I'm really good at this game, I will fight your space war for you. Yeah. <laughs> I will I will be drafted into the space into wars. The space battle. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god. So like that was really funny. And watching the guy who uh you know the it was just like a money making scheme for him. Where Robert he would, Preston, the the music man, he is the music man yes. from Music Man, and he is act he is enjoying the hell out of himself in this. I love when he's yeah. like, I've seen him come and I've seen him go, but you're the best, my boy. Like <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Absolutely. I, I liked him a lot, and I actually thought that the one thing that this has going for it that Tron didn't really do is it does have, even though it's incredibly basic, it does have like an emotional clarity to it. Yeah. And like for an sure. actual character for for him like the bit where I, they kind of undermine it but like when robert preston for example sacrifices himself i was like oh i kind of liked him and oh, I, yeah. I didn't have quite that moment in tron whereas like it there, there was something happening here that they were going for even if it is so like yeah. derivative of yeah so and then much. and then pretty much later on they kind of wrap it up where it's like nobody died we're all good don't it's worry all- about it yeah, uh, even, even though you need to help rebuild the space command for future wars, yeah, possibly or something. All those people did die. To keep everything <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the thing is about that is like when it happens, when when fucking like everybody except for him dies, there isn't a huge emotional scene or anything like that. Really, like there's no. not a lot of it. Does it didn't feel as weighted as it probably should. Because you just watched like hundreds of people just dissipate <laughs> into space, you know. So yeah, it, it it doesn't help that I was laughing my ass off because yeah. of the line that they get right before that scene happens. <laughs> we're kind of we're kind of skipping a little bit to the end, but when when he finishes off those those aliens and they fly into oh, the moon, oh that part, yeah, that was great. And and I and the guy goes. <laughs> Like the ship is is done, it's flying into the moon, it's about to explode, and the two guys are like looking at each other, and the one guy's like, What do we do? And the guy just very stoically he looks up, he has this incredible timing, this pause that he holds and he looks at him. Yep. Complete seriousness, he says, We die. <laughs> and then I laughed so hard. And then the the the, the cut is to a wide shot of the ship exploding. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the planet is fine too. Like it's just just the ship just explodes. Not not only is, is his timing good. He has this little like cyborg monocle thing that that he flips over his eye before he says we die. Oh yeah. It's a good detail because he, he, he does that multiple times in the film when he's like, he's like the thinker. He's the guy who's going to come up with the plan. And then the plan is that they die. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. It was great. But getting back to, you know, before he murders an entire civilization of people. Yeah. Uh, Alex Rogan is drafted into this space war. And it's it's a lot of like the reluctant hero thing. Yeah. It's a lot of, I understand his reluctance. Because for sure. he just, he didn't, you know, he just he, wants to go to he college. He was just playing a video game. Yeah. He wants to, you know, make, out with, make out with his girlfriend and, and go, go to, to the college. same college as her. But instead they've got like this, this beta robot version of him who's having a sex comedy with the girlfriend yeah. down on earth. <laughs> yeah. In these really bizarre scenes where like he's the taking robot off has his no head game at all. and cleaning his ears and the little brother is like, what's going on? yeah (laughs) and he's like you're having a bad dream (laughs) (laughs) what's even like the the first initial look at him too before he develops a face or whatever it is yeah it's legitimately like a body horror movie like just for a second (laughs) it's pretty bizarre and i guess speaking on just kind of a more visceral 
violence uh, to, to some parts of the film. That one moment where the guy gets pretty much melted, yes. like his face melts. It reminded yeah, me of like Raiders of the earlier. Lost Ark when yeah. their face yes. melts and they see the, the I was, spirits I or whatever. I was losing my mind when that happened because it's so... <laughs> yeah. Like the the movie has been so like this is like a family sci fi thing up exactly. until that point, and it, and you're like what what are they doing to that guy? And like you're not sure what's gonna happen, and then it cuts back to him, and yeah, his skin is like melting off his face, and you're like oh that's and then they just cut away, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of like very gruesome practical effects in this that you only see for a second, but it's enough. The the other one that jumped out at me is when um Zor the 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 kind of like traitor guy who's working with the alien species, um his his actor was like absolutely going over the top like flash gordon style he was hilarious yeah. uh, i also love their the uh gun. their hair the fact they have that yes. like balding dad thing going on like all of them <laughs> um and he knocks the one alien's helmet off and you see the the alien without its helmet and it's got like the weird like bug eyes going like Wah! like for a yeah. second and, and then it cuts away yeah 100 percent. there there were moments and the, and you're right because they're so fast that you just kind of like react <laughs> and then it and then it just moves on to the family friendly film that you've been watching and it's it's bizarre jarring yeah the, the, this one is just interesting because like Tron is family friendly but there there's it doesn't have that like g whiz family friendly aspect For to sure. it it doesn't yeah. fe- quite feel that way no this definitely feels like it's got like it, it really is aiming for like a kid market in a very yeah, specific way. Yeah, it gave me way. heavy ET vibes. Like that's kind of yeah. the similar vibe that I get from. <laughs> yeah, the definitely movie. that Spielberg like kid wonder, like the guy yeah. looking up at the stars with the giant like odd face and being like, "Whoa, what's up there, man?" Yeah, whoa, for sure. And Especially it also has that sincerity to it, where yeah. like the the spaceship is landing is very close encounters of the third kind. Like just the yes. way that it's shot, I was the, like the blue light coming down and like the people all coming outside and looking up at it is like like ripped like straight i mean that came out around the, like a year before this i think i'm yeah. trying to think of my timelines here Wh- what year was uh close encounters uh close encounters was uh 77 yeah. oh okay yeah so so qu- quite a few years beforehand so yeah it's like it's it feels very lifted directly from that like the language of the shots that they're doing yeah you're talking about the shot like when the when the aliens actually like come down in the ufo and then they open up and the light comes out and all the people are like whoa look at this yeah. alien ship and that's then the alex same thing that they have space suit well it, what it's funny what i was describing was actually close encounters oh and so oh. but that's so funny that you were like yeah that's the scene in this movie it's the same, yeah oh my oh. god that's crazy yeah <laughs> um, that's hilarious I, Speaking of the aliens, um, I, I have to shout out his his co-pilot, Grig, who yes. is played by uh, Academy Award nominee uh, Dan O'Hurley, I, I think his name is. And he was in he was in Failsafe. Um, he was like like a legit actor. And he must have been in his like 60s or maybe even 70s when this when this movie came out. And is this the guy um, that looks like the, the turtle kind of the thing? The turtle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like he's absolutely covered in like heavy, heavy yeah, like to the point makeup. where he can't even like open his mouth half the time. I definitely think they had to ADR pretty much every single piece of dialogue that he had in the movie. He has so many like funny, weird lines yeah. and like, goofy comedy bits that are really, really like well developed and like tossed tossed out there. And the um, old man like hysterical breathe the breath laugh that he does. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he had an interesting late career because he was also in Halloween 3 and RoboCop. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Big fans of those ones. Yeah. Yeah, with 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 this one, 
I, I gotta say, because for some reason, watching this like straight back to back with Tron, I basically yeah. watched these like one right after the other. Me too. There was something about just having an emotional through line about this that kind of like made it work for me, even though I do think that like on a purely like design level, I think Tron is the far superior film in terms of like building a universe and oh, yeah. at the very yeah. least implying philosophical this questions. This one feels heavily derivative, like to the point where you're like, like I'm interested in the kid's story because he's a likable character and like, you know, I want to see some star fighting and all that. But you just see the inspirations to a point where you're like, you're just kind of copying things. Whereas like Tron has that wholly original vibe to it. Right. And there, there's not a lot of like crazy design work or anything happening here, which, 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 which yeah. sucks because the artist who worked on this, like also was an artist on alien and star Wars and Conan, the barbarian and stuff. Oh, okay, so he yeah. worked on cool stuff. It's just uh, a lot of the Ugh. CG fighting in this is just, it feels like they're copying the visual visual vocabulary of Star Wars, but, but without again, the miniatures, without the, miniatures, without yeah. the texture, without the rotoscoping that they well, did. I think I think Tron holds up a lot better because they're going for a very stylized look, um, whereas this is kind of trying to be photorealistic. And like you know, I, I can tell you when I watched this in like the late eighties, it, it felt photorealistic. Now <laughs> yeah. it looks really bad. Um, like they, I, so I, I actually think that that you, you mentioned that like in Tron things don't have textures. I actually think they may have invented textures between when Tron came out and when this came out because like this is like very low polygon, but they have textures and Tron is like much more complex models, but like things are just kind of like a color gradient. Right. Um, but it looks, it really looks the fact that they're going for like photorealism, um, especially there's like, there's some shots of the outside of like the starfighter base that really look quite bad. Um, like super <laughs> Nintendo level cinematography, uh, and and like film quality, the only the only scene I think like actually felt like kinetic and engaging in the way that that like like a Star Wars type film does was the very last battle. There were a few shots where I was like where like it's following the ship as it like swoops through these rows of enemy fighters. I was like, oh, okay, this actually feels pretty engaging. The rest of it was just like very like you know By my first numbers. 3D animation project for college. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, I also thought that, I mean, it's this is kind of just like an issue with doing this is if, if you kind of know the film that you want. And there's a lot of screenwriting convenience to like the action of this film. Oh, yeah, in, for in, sure. In, in like a way that's like kind of like the drama of like the action scenes is like because it's just he's the best gamer. Like yeah. that, so he's just like he's gonna get into the ship and he's gonna video game them all the best. So there, there's not a lot of ways to dramatize that without like being like, oh no, we lost the power, we need to recharge. Yeah, and then they're like, they've lost, and then they're like, oh wait, there was a super secret death blossom button that yeah. kills everyone that yeah. we just found out about <laughs> for sure it so, is pretty funny how they introduce and talk to that and, and again like uh dan o'hurley he does some like pretty good like line delivery where he's like well you know we should use the death blossom and it'll totally destroy all of them assuming it works and and that's wait what um <laughs> there's, there's earlier he has a really great line um earlier where where um Alex Rogan is actually like like or you know Lance Guest is acting like shocked that all these people died, and he says uh, death is a primitive concept in in my culture. I prefer to think of them as battling evil in another dimension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely has I think the most intriguing character when it comes to 
Like, they even give him, like, a bit of a backstory. I think they mentioned that back home he lives in caves, and I think he has, like, 6,000 children yes. or something like that. <laughs> so I think I, he I, sells his wife, and it just looks like, like, like exactly like him. But, but in a fur dress. coat or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that those moments were really, really good. I like that. But what I found is that I just wanted them to to dive into a little bit more of the the like comedy aspects like I was enjoying when they would cut back to the clone trying to be a teenager and he just has like no stroke game she's, and, she, and the she, girlfriend's she's like what are you doing by trying to stick her tongue in my ear or something. <laughs> yeah like, and I was actually kind of enjoying that stuff um and they take it I mean I I think they take it a little like too seriously sometimes just well, with the, the one thing stuff. I'll say about that is that at least because it's grounded on the earth when the alien stuff gets to earth I actually thought that that was the only time there was like kind of like a real danger yeah because because yeah. again when he's in the spaceship and it's so cg and it's so fake and it's and the you only the only context we have die. for it is that he's the skilled video gamer and that's like, <laughs> that, that, that's like the drama of those scenes so there's nothing happening there but the scenes where the aliens try to assassinate him when yeah. he goes back to earth i thought that was actually the most effective scene in the film when, for sure when the guy shoots the alien arm off and it it like fucking like gores him and everything <laughs> yeah and at one point i think the uh, the clone like the robot he sacrifices himself to make them think yeah. that that they've killed him yeah and i'm yeah. like that was actually he kind drives of into the spaceship and explodes yeah and tells the girl to jump out of the car just before he does it <laughs> yeah it's crazy so it's like people think that alex is just fucking dead now and there's just a real weight to the action because it's yes. live action so exactly. like when you're watching that there is like I mean, that's also where like there's um, there when, could be consequences. Yeah, th- that's also where the music man gets uh, mortally wounded by the alien, like trying to save his life down there. Right. And they're like, and again, it sucks because the only reason any of them died was because he didn't, you know, uh, he was reluctant to take the call. Yeah. And then he's like, well, now he's dead. So now now this matters. <laughs> right. right. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the that that particular ideological aspect of the film cuz this is basically like, you know, people people said and I agree that, you know, Captain Marvel is basically like an Air Force recruiting ad. This is <laughs> really an Air Force recruiting ad where it's like Oh, so 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 um, you you mentioned earlier that uh, he gets denied for a scholarship. He doesn't get denied for a scholarship. He gets denied for a loan. So he oh, can't college yeah. he can't afford to go to college. So what does he do? Turns out he's really good at you know military video games. And oh, he gets to join the military. And um, I didn't even and, think and, about any of this. He he becomes like it's like you you escape your prolonged adolescence by joining the military and becoming a man and becoming a hero. And the whole time he's up there, fighting in this arbitrary war where you're killing a bunch of aliens. (laughs) And they keep saying, like, what, are you a coward? You don't want to be a hero? And then, of course, he tries to run away. And this is such, like, a 1980s, like, like political, like, we have to go to war because of this thing. Like, oh, well, you try – you thought you could sit this one out, but the war came to you anyway. Like, so now you're also defending the Earth. And and then at the end – this really creeps me out watching it again. His little brother, I think it's his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, now I want to join the space military too. And I think, <laughs> it's so sick. You know what I did find funny though at the end where, when his brother comes up to him, like he just came, comes back from space, saving the entire universe. And his brother's just like, what's up, man? Yeah, let's go. Like, I want to join. I want to do everything. And, and he just kind of goes like, no, fuck off. And then and then he's like, girlfriend, you can come to space with me. And I found that very odd because like 
I almost found like the relationship. I want to have sex in his, space, girl. That's, that's what it felt like. He's like, you little brother, fuck off. I, if it's it's either my girlfriend or nobody's coming with me. What about that? That super. That that felt. There, there's this one scene where um, right after the, the 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 beta Alex has sacrificed himself. Um, the real Alex is about to go into his final battle and it cuts back to earth and um, his girlfriend is standing there with like, like, like the fire burning behind her and her hair is blowing in the wind. And she goes, I love you, Alex Rogan. And then it, I was like, what, wait, what, what, what was that? Like, what, why did she say that? Did a scene from back to the future suddenly appear in this film? Like that was such a weird, it, it was a good moment. It was shot. Well, but I was like, that yeah. was really strange. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> The, the other thing, so we, you guys talked a little bit about the video game aspect earlier. Um, did either of you notice that in the end credits it said "video game coming soon" from from Atari Inc.? No, I did not. But it's at the it's at the very end of the credits. Um, and, so did they uh, make this? No, they did not. They're, they're, they were making it, um, and so so the, the, they tried to make a video game, um, and you, you could find clips of it online. There, there's like there's like demo footage. Uh, that matched up with the graphics of the video game in the movie. But the graphics of the video game in the movie were so much more advanced than um, what was capable at, at, like, at that time on like an arcade machine oh. that each machine would have cost $10,000 to manufacture. <laughs> uh, and and so they, they developed the game three quarters of the way and it actually like plays exactly like the game that Alex plays in, in the movie and then they just abandoned it. Um, but... Somebody in the last like 10 years, uh, there's a company called Rogue Synapse, I believe it is, um, and th- they've made a couple other indie games, I, I believe, since. Um, they, they recreated the, la- the abortive last Starfighter game, so you can go to their website and play like a faithful recreation of the last Starfighter game. And like they were going to do wow. the whole yards of making like the movie style cabinet. I, I assume that Robert Preston would not show up in a flying car and kidnap you, but you know, who, who knows? Well, that's sure. bullshit then. <laughs> yeah, man. I've, I've, I've always wanted to go into another dimension and say things like, do you want to fight a desperate battle against incredible odds? Things <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, of this nature. There's some, there's some great line reads in, in this, um, specifically from, from the guy who plays, a. Uh, uh, Zor and from from Robert Preston. Um, Robert Preston has uh, at one point says, "I had to invent the game, merchandise them, and get them into the store by Christmas." And it's I, I love that he's so grounded in in like like Earth stuff. And his whole thing is to make money. Like he is to be clear, like he's like trying to round up mercenaries and get a commission off of it. And he, he, even when he I died, thought that was an awesome detail when he brings Alex to space and he immediately is like dude don't worry about it they'll handle it you're good from here um, and, 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 he, and he takes his face and the kid's just like what am i doing here meanwhile robert preston's being like handed coins well, like, for he just sold the kids to the, the army planet, kid. don't worry about it you're doing great <laughs> but, but zor has this one line where he says they will bow to their emperor or i will darken the sky with their ashes this like very like conan the barbarian type oh, yeah. stuff and I love how he's such like a sniveling like dork, and you can tell that like the the more uh, the the kind of like Klingon style aliens, the I guess they're the 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 Kodan, I guess, mm-hmm. like really hate him and like detest him and are waiting to to like overthrow him with his his ridiculous uh, scepter. I thought that was a nice character touch. They had like inter inter villain conflict going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then he immediately abandons them right when they all <laughs> <Yeah>. die. <laughs> 
Doesn't he even say at the end that he escapes? So yeah, we're yeah, trying escapes, to like he's set up a back. sequel or something like something that. Something like that. He's gonna be like the overall villain in yeah. In, in it some it felt like they were kind of setting that up, uh, but then I I'm pretty sure no sequel ever came. So correct. I, yes. Yeah. Was yeah. it? Do you, do you know if uh, like they were trying to make this a franchise of some kind? They must have been. I imagine. That's what I assume. Unfortunately, I, there are no more uh, melted heads while the dudes scream in agony. No. <laughs> No, that yeah. there could have been more. Yeah, there, yeah, there could have used a, one, one or two more melted heads. <laughs> Although that that scene st- still stands out to me. It's it's unreal. It's just so much more violent than anything else in this entire thing. Yeah, because so but, adult. But, but, but compared that's the guy who does that, right? The guy who gets away. He's the yeah, one who does that. He's the I one who's on so. the hologram and is like, rah, rah, rah. yeah, yeah, I believe. So. Oh, it's. You know, it's it's worth saying that like you can tell that they bet their money on the CGI effects because when they do so like the the practical effects that are like human, you know, makeup look quite good. Um, the stuff that's supposed to be like explosions in space, like Star Wars style, really looks very bad. Um, yeah. Like there's the, or, or also the part where uh, Zor's head is like superimposed over the like throne room is very like it reminded me of like like old 1980s Battlestar Galactica you know level effects For actually sure. like a lot of the space stuff felt that way I do I did like the, uh, the there's one shot where they're using his like hologram uh, head and it shows the commander dead center and then on the two left the left and right you can see both of his giant eyes from yeah, the that hologram was, that, was, that was a pretty good shot but like yeah for the most part um it's pretty it's pretty standard stuff when it comes to that <laughs> yeah there's 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 kind of a, a lot of coverage to this even though there is like you know there's some some of the widescreen framing does lend itself to like some of the live action working like again i think the shootout that they have on earth is actually not that bad yeah yeah um, for sure and you know when they get into like the practical makeup effects of the aliens and and stuff like that like some of it like does end up looking nice you can tell that there was money behind this film in some capacity yeah i really do like the the different alien species one thing i wanted to mention before we we peace out on this one was uh the score which is fantastic yes yeah it's so good i mean it's cribbing from it, it feels very very indiana jones at times yes like very clearly cribbing from stuff but it is it is very memorable like i I, I suspect that this is one of those scores that, like, if you played for someone, they would be like, I feel like I've heard that and, yeah. like, not know what it's from because it's not strongly that, associated. That was my experience watching it because I was watching this for the first time and I was like, I know this music. Yeah. And I was like, why do I know this music? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, Another thing that is uh, the Rocketeer also feels like that. I think, like, everyone knows the Rocketeer uh, theme, even if they've, like, probably, you know, don't remember what the plot of, of the Rocketeer is. But I, but I was kind of curious why the why the music stood out a little bit because it, it felt really big like especially because we didn't talk about the music in Tron but the music in Tron is kind of like a weird mix of like kind of like this a little bit of like analog synth yeah. stuff and also like early digital synth stuff at the same time but it's kind of like it's more like tones there's yeah. not a lot going on for it whereas like this had like full like melodic like woodwinds and, oh, yeah. and, and horns Full and trumpets stuff. and yeah. everything and I, I looked it up and the note that the guy got for the com- that the composer got was bigger than Star Wars <laughs> that was all they said <laughs> you have to outdo John Williams you understand <laughs> or you're fired so so his only way of doing that was that apparently he went for what's called a Mahler sized orchestra, which I guess is like just an orchestra that has like way more, more shit. Than necessary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's 50, why the 50,000 didgeridoos. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I do want to shout out, um, you know, I, I know that we're, we're, we're out of Tron, but um, I, I want to shout out uh, the composer for um, Tron was uh, Wendy Carlos, who also did uh, Clockwork Orange and uh, The Shining. Oh, wow. And she was like very, oh, like, like a very like revolutionary uh, synth composer. And they actually. Shining especially um, is amazing. Yeah. Disney did not trust her to actually deliver the score, and so they also hired a traditional orchestra to do some some like extra fill-in stuff. So that, that that's why oh. it goes between that like that basic that like the very interesting synth stuff and the like the more traditional orchestra style stuff. Man. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, let 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 Wendy do her shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, uh, uh, interesting that she didn't do a whole lot of work after that. Tron appears to be her last film. Oh wow. That sucks, because yeah. uh, apparently she was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, she did, did the Shining. She did, she did Clockwork, The Shining, and then Tron, and then she was out. Oh wow! But that's a good note. I didn't realize that they did that because that makes sense. That was something I noted in Tron, where I was like, "Man, there's some cool sounds, and then there's like some kind of basic stuff happening." Yeah, here. for so sure. It's interesting that there was an exact reason for that. Uh, before the last Starfighter, entering the reductive rating round and also closing statements or anything we might have missed while we were doing it. Uh, Last Starfighter is, you know what, it's also going to get the three. Nice. I feel like I was leaning a little bit between the high two and the low three. I do think I slightly... Oh, you almost didn't like it, huh? I I, I slightly prefer Tron. Well, because I think I like Tron better. I think think unquestionably, unquestionably I like Tron better. Okay. Um, Especially talking about it when we got into some of the design, like just the style of Tron itself, I think carries Tron a lot further. Um, than some of the the places that this gets, even though that there is, you know, there is a basic competency to this in in a lot of different ways. It just, it it really does falter. It has different pros and cons, basically. Yeah, for for sure. But I found this cute and sincere, and I, I did find, you know... Despite the fact that it's derivative of like everything that Lucas and Spielberg were basically doing in the late seventies to early eighties, like every single thing that they did, it was like a little bit of Indiana Jones, a little bit of Star Wars, uh, a little bit of ET. Like a little they bit ended of close off encounters. with the kid, like the winds blowing in his face as a spaceship goes up, and he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, you know, big old fist pump and all that." So Spielberg, like, you know what's actually reminded me of a little bit? It, I, I almost was like, is it almost made me think that they were thinking of that moment when they were doing. Doing uh, the Last Jedi, it it had a uh, similar like quality. at the end where the kid uh, does the sweep or whatever. Yep, yep. Where he's he's like For looking sure. up at the sky and he's like, "I will be the next generation." I was like, "Oh man!" Like Ryan Johnson, maybe, maybe he's a last Starfighter fan. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's too bad that that got shit on. <laughs> We'll find out. Different discussion for a different day, I guess. We'll find out. We'll ask Ryan, what's up, dude? Do you love The Last Starfighter? Starfighter, Did you homage it in your Star Wars movie? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I would just say that, like, you know, we kind of went through the most of it. There are some bizarre graphic moments. (laughs) There are some some well-done practical effects when they do them. Um, But the basic story is that there's a kid and he's the best gamer. And being the best gamer <laughs> means that he's the best military general. And now he's space has got killing. another military general out there. And hopefully he's getting laid. Yeah. That's sort of a subplot in I, the film. I think he is now. He really wants to. He's the, in space. The kids are, for a children's film, are pretty horny. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. is, yeah. you know, you don't usually, you don't, wouldn't usually think about that in the children's and film. And like, it's never, much. I mean, it's never outright said, but even the, uh, the, the writing, it's not subtle you know what i mean like you definitely get what they're talking about 
Yeah. There's hope for all of us gamer fail sons out there, as long as we're very <laughs> good at, at one particular video game. As long as you can Absolutely. hit a million points on your game of choice. Yeah, exactly. Even if your game doesn't have points, you know, <laughs> you can figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, so for me, kind of like a little a little bit of a low three. It was It was cute. It was sincere it has some good moments to it i really just think that they they kind of act they really just kind of fucked up the space opera stuff yeah like there's just there, there's not a lot of weight to it uh both conceptually because it's just he's the best gamer who's gonna shoot the other gamers better than they do yeah and then also I, that's also the stuff that's all like this kind of like flat cg that they do on it that yeah. doesn't look super stellar i do find like the community to actually be the most intriguing part of it which is odd considering it's like a <laughs> space movie about fighting in space so <laughs> yeah it's uh you know it, it that is odd that it's like i'd rather the scariest watch stuff is honestly the alien assassins trying to kill him oh on, yeah in his trailer park yeah <laughs> and honestly i enjoyed watching a lot a lot of the time i enjoyed watching the clone figure out how, how to be a human hey, and i shit. also love that he hates it that he's like <laughs> alex life sucks <laughs> like <laughs> I think he even says a couple times that he's completely unhappy being there. Put me in the warship. <laughs> they, they um, Alex at one point says like, well, why don't you go back and uh, fight with uh, the star league? And he says, Oh, uh, uh, simuloids aren't, aren't allowed to. And it's like, wait a minute. What? Like, are, are they racist? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, we should dive into that. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give it a three. I do have like some nostalgia for this because I did watch it as a kid and just having someone I loved video games. So having a guy, you know, be called up to the line of duty because he's good at video games just kind of still gets me, even though I wouldn't want to be Alex, you know, in that situation. There's still a, a bit of the, the kid inside that's like, that's super cool. So I do enjoy that. It definitely um, is some, some like classic gamer self-actualization cinema. Oh, as for sure. As it is. Yeah, What's 100%. What's the line that he gets? It says, I'm a kid from a trailer park. And then, <laughs> yeah. this, this is so great. If that's what you think, then that's all you'll ever be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get you pumped. Oh man. Yeah. I just, I like that. It's sincere. It's, you know, it's, it's cute. It's just, uh, I can't, I can't dislike a movie like this. It's, it's, it's not trying to do anything too crazy, but it's just telling a nice story about a guy that's, you know, kind of down on his luck. And, and now he's, uh, the best war fighter that we've ever seen in space. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. Yeah. The best and the last. That's right. But yeah, yeah but I'll give it a three. He's going to rebuild the fleet and he might fight the guy again. That's what it seems like. It implies that he brings his girlfriend on board and then he's going to go fight, which is odd because you'd think it's like, go fight the fight, then bring your girlfriend into space when there's not a giant war yeah. going on. Yeah, we're, we're going to have gamer endless war over here. Yeah. But uh, for but, you, Kurt. Yeah. Uh, so for for me, this this is definitely a film that I remembered better than it was. So like for for me, Tron was so like both of these films I held in equal esteem as a child. Um, and for me, Tron, I found new stuff to like as an adult. And I was like, oh, like I didn't notice any of this stuff. Like there's stuff that is written for an adult. I, I th- this definitely came down a few pegs now that like I'm not a kid and it's not you know 1987. <laughs> um, and and so like for for me, this is like this is like a three. Um, like probably like like a low three. Like it, like I, yeah. I almost didn't like it until like the very end. Um, I, I felt like when it figured out towards the back half of the film that it could be funnier and that the stuff on the ground was more important. So actually, fun fun tidbit. 
you, you mentioned that you enjoyed uh, the stuff with Beta on, on the Earth. So did uh, early test audiences. They actually went back and filmed more scenes uh, with Beta, and you can tell Oh, so which those ones are added are. on. There was actually um, less. Not, not all of them. Yeah, there, there, there are added ones in. Interesting. Um, but uh, Lance, Lance Guest had, had cut his hair. Uh, and also was sick when they were shooting the reshoots or like the added scenes. So he's wearing a really bad wig, which you can see in some scenes. And he's just like <laughs> slathered with makeup because he looked very sick apparently. Um, so like you can occasionally tell that it's like, oh, like this is this is one of the added ones. But they definitely went back and added more of those in. And I, I think that that those don't start happening until like the second half of the film. And it definitely feels much better. Um, so I, yeah. I think if they had leaned into that and leaned into like weird hybrid teen sex comedy space adventure thing earlier, yes. um, it, it would be a stronger film. Uh, also like the, the, the ideology really bothers me now that I think about it too. Just, just like the whole military thing. Like I, I, I get yeah, that. Like obviously very, what, like it's like I said, when I view it as like the, the gamer kid that just like gets called upon to fight the good fight, I am an assumption that I'm going to win that fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not the 10 year old that's like, maybe it's going to be completely nihilistic and, and half my friends will die. You know, yeah. you don't, you don't have that perspective when you're 10 and you get called upon because you're good at video games. You know what I'm yeah. trying to say? So it's like, I can kind of just put that to the side. Yeah, I, I mean, know that it's I, I didn't think horrible, about it. I, but... I see that it's there. I didn't think about it because I was someone who kind of believed that it was there in, in, in Captain Marvel in some of the stuff that they were doing there, especially when they revealed it absolutely that. Absolutely is. I mean, yeah. I, I was like, especially when they revealed that like they, they took funding from them and everything. And oh, like, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> like they were like, we'll, we'll give you all the planes. We'll, we'll, they actually shot a, like, like an air force ad, um, with Captain uh, Marvel, with, uh, Brie Larson, like yeah. talking about, wow, I learned so much about the Air Force in my my process <laughs> of making this film. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's undeniable then. Like, holy shit. Yeah, with Captain Marvel, it was like pretty fucking blatant. But now, but now that you say it, it is it is interesting that it's like it's it is like that uh, that that dream is there and yeah. the, the disconnect is there. And it's funny that like the film, obviously, I almost if. I almost wish that there was more. There is a version of this film where there's more death and destruction and there's fucking Starship yeah. Troopers shit when he finally yeah. gets into space and he's just like, no, yeah. <laughs> send me back to the video game. Yeah, for sure. Have, but it, but instead he wins as Iron easy Eagle? as a video game, right? Like it's yeah. just like, oh, there's the, the win button and <laughs> yeah, exactly. all the guys die and it's great. <laughs> We're all good, yeah. <laughs> Won the war. Have, have either of you ever seen the film Iron Eagle? No, no, I don't think so. It's it's about like a metalhead um, kind of like like teen like washout, very much like an Alex Rogan type character, and his dad I think gets like captured behind enemy lines. Oh, I, I may be confusing the, the plot of it with with its with its sequel, but he's he's like a useless teen who who decides to become like like a pilot um in the air force so that he yeah, can to, go to, rescue to save his, dad. his dad from the middle east right oh, yeah okay. so there's there's like this is definitely not the only film that has that kind of like like are from around roughly the same era where it was yeah, like, that was, like that was like mid-80s too that was like there's 85. also uh, there's also this movie i know i've seen when i was younger where this kid gets uh he accidentally gets into the codes for nuclear war 
Uh, and he War games? Are you talking about war games? I think I'm talking about war games. I'm almost certain that that's what it's called. Yeah. And that, that kind of gave me a similar vibe to this too, where it was like, you know, it's literally called war games. <laughs> yeah. The kid, the kid accidentally gets into the, the nuclear codes and then oh, thinks it's a video game yeah, and I've starts just so fucking shit up or I've, something like I've that. Seen this. That's I Matthew Broderick. Yes. Um, yes. And yes. And he, he is a hacker who, who hacks into, um, a like st- strategic defense computer and he thinks he's playing yeah he thinks he's playing a video game but he's actually in like initiate he's he's typed in like thermonuclear war that sounds cool i'll do that. yeah he just starts it's uh i haven't seen it in a long time i don't know if it's any good but uh yeah it kind of gave me this vibe too well so that's that's the movie just to add in there that that the quote the only uh you know strange game the only way to win is not to play that that's where that that movie is where that quote comes from okay and so, so I mean, I'm 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 glad that you mentioned that actually because one of the things I wanted to to say about both of these films wrapping up is this I feel like both of these films are kind of part of a vanished genre of like kid and family science fiction films yeah. that exactly like you were saying came out between like around like like ET and Star Wars through like the early like the early nineties is around the time that like they started uh, you know disappearing there's a whole there's a there's a grip of films like this there's um there's one called like the Explorers where uh, Corey Feldman I think builds like like a spaceship in his backyard and they 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 they, they go to space. Um, we already talked about like sh- uh, short circuit and uh, batteries not included. Um, these were all like mid budget <coughs> family sci-fi slash fantasy. Like they're not they're not family f- films in the sense of like this is for kids the way that something like a Pixar film is. Yeah. But they were films that were pitched to the whole family. The whole family could go to the movies and see this sci-fi you know space opera where. You don't feel like like you don't okay. They're gonna see a guy's face melt, um, but you don't <laughs> feel like you have to go to two different movies. And I I kind of wish that they would come back to this. And I, I really yeah. I I wonder if it's because like because of like the disappearance of the like mid market like mid budget films or or what it is exactly. But like they don't they don't make films like this anymore. And as a parent, I I would very much like them too because I I do yeah. think that. Dude, part of the thing that I resonated... Mean, they they already won. The whole family is going to Marvel. <laughs> yeah. It's true, but to me, those are... I mean, I, I guess I, I guess that's true. But so in... I did an episode of of our podcast uh, with uh, Leslie Lee of a Struggle Session. And um, one of the things... We, we were talking about uh, Batman the Animated Series. And one of the things we talked about was that the themes of the Marvel films are real bummers. It's about like genocide and betrayal and these like these horrible like people getting decapitated and in in their own way they're kind of more violent and more serious than than the last starfighter is even though you see someone melt in the last starfighter <laughs> yeah yeah right well and and but but also they don't actually take that material as seriously as it is they kind of just exactly. like they, they throw those images in there like they're like they're just a superhero punching the bad guy yeah. but when you actually sit down and think about it you're like that's a weird thing to frame in that way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And and like I and and what's interesting is people are people want this aesthetic. If you look at something like Stranger Things, Stranger Things is cribbing from stuff like The Last Starfighter. Like mm. that the, the whole like we're stranded in a small town, here's the the larger world impinging upon us is very Spielberg, very Last Starfighter. Um and yet that stuff now is not trying to be family media it's trying to be for adults i feel like there's been this weird disconnect and i would love to see films like that come come back both as like a film person and as a parent 
Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, sounds good to me. Or we could just make kids watch Akira. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> One Blow of those two minds. options is fine with me. We'll see. <laughs> we'll vote on it. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my kid's going to just be oh my, exposed be to too much. Messed up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be... I'm going to, honestly, I'm actually going to have to, when I have to start thinking about that, I'm going to have a hard time thinking about yeah, it. I'll be like, what's actually suitable? So I'm, I'm glad that Kurt's out there doing the work, walking <laughs> us through parenting, showing kids media, because I have not had to think about that yet. And the idea of me having to like watch what I watch <laughs> and like pay attention to what's in it and what the person is picking up from it. I, I just, I don't do that yet. That'll right now, right now I'll keep track of what my brain's doing and that's it for now. Yeah. But that being said, that will wrap it up for this week's episode. That was Tron from 1982 and The Last Starfighter from 1984. Thanks so much for coming on, Kurt. If you've got anything to plug, which uh, we know you do, <laughs> now's the place to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm super, super had, a, had a blast. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so, uh, I can be found, uh, out there hosting a podcast with my awesome wife, Denise called parents just don't understand. Um, that is available on all the various podcasting platforms. We talk about, uh, children's media past and present, and we take a very critical eye to it. We just did an episode on uh, frozen and frozen two and talked about, you know, the themes of patriarchy and colonialism and as surprisingly like g- genocide and eco-terrorism in, in frozen two. <laughs> Um, there's a lot that gets snuck into children's media. Um, we've had some some pretty awesome guests on too. Uh, it's it's uh, it, it's a fun time, and it, you know it's both fun and funny. I think to like dig into these things that are made for little kids, but of course are made by adults, and so like some of that adult viewpoint uh, sneaks in there. Um, I also am on Twitter at uh, Kurt M Schiller, and uh, we have our uh, our podcast is on there at Parents Pod. Um, I also do some pop culture and parenting blogging on Substack uh, at baddadapocalypse.substack.com, um, where you can go and and sign up. Uh, and so that's that's me. I'm I'm out there. Um, I, I actually I, I will mention I have I have a bunch of uh, podcast guest spots coming out right around uh, this same time, including um, I did a Kevin Smith podcast uh, called Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, where oh, I man, was that's uh, a, that's a clever, clever name right there. Yeah, I like it. Um, so yeah, I, I was on there talking about the, 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 the great nineties film dogma, uh, su- such as it is. So nice. Hell yeah. Well, for our listeners, you guys will be able to find us in one week's time doing your Patreon, uh, exclusive bonus episode for next week, which is continuing in the realm of sci-fi. We uh, ever have a couple for you. Yeah. The, uh, the Criterion channel recently had a playlist of, uh, 70s sci-fi films that I was going through and it kind of inspired me to want to kind of do a couple episodes based on some of these titles. Uh, some of them I had seen, some of them I hadn't. Um, I hope a lot of you guys got the chance to check it out because I think by the time of listening to this, that series is officially off the channel now, but we are going to be talking about two that we sort of pitched a little bit in the discord and people got back to us and they said, definitely that's the double feature of the (laughs) entire list that you have to do. So we are doing now we know why Richard Flesher's Soylent Green from 1973 starring Charleston uh, Heston, uh, as well as. A Boy and His Dog. Oh, boy and his dog. <laughs> From 1975, starring Don Ooh, Johnson. What a movie. Uh, 
and uh, Jamie and I may or may not have had brain matter <laughs> leaking out of our ears. That was a religious experience. Watching for sure. a boy and his dog. Uh, That's what happens when you do a Harlan Ellison movie. <laughs> yeah, that that was something else. We we watched both of those, and we kind of wanted to end our lives a little bit. Very <laughs> the best grim possible time, way. <laughs> the nineteen seventies uh, for science fiction. Um, so that's what you can expect for your bonus episode next week. But in two weeks time, we are going to be back with a special guest doing some Australian road movies, yeah. uh, exploitation Ooh. in particular. We are going to be doing a little film called road games. Oh yeah. I've had this on my list for a while. And we are going to be pairing it with a little film from the 1970s called stone. Cool. Perfect. So that's what you guys can expect in two weeks time. So I think that will wrap it up. That was everything for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, y'all. Keep it sleazy. Yes. Nailed it.